We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 today, um, and then sort of talk, I've just called this, it's all in the mix, okay? And uh, that'll hopefully make more sense in a few moments, but Hebrews chapter 10, just go right to the very end of your Bible, work your way back, okay? I always find Hebrews kind of hard to find, because uh, you think it's closer than it is, all right? But it's really towards the back. It is a stunning book. Anyone ever read the book of Hebrews at all? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to, to do it. The whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is greater. That, that's about the height of it, okay? He's greater than everything, all right? Uh, so get into that. It just, honestly, it's just such a great, uh, great book. I want to go from uh, verse 19 uh, through to verse 25, and then we'll get stuck in, all right? Okay, I'm on, aren't I? Am I actually here? Am I in the room? Okay, it is. Here we go, the writer to the Hebrews then, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, is that a great word? Confidence. Anyone feeling confident today? All right, cool, good. To enter the most holy place, capital M, capital H, capital P, right? I love that. It's it's an important place, okay? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, all about the cross. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. not awesome? With full assurance that the faith brings. Having our hearts uh, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us then hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is and let us consider then how we, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen? Just good stuff. It really is. I want to show you a picture. Let's throw this picture up here and uh, anybody can tell me what it is. All right, let me know what this is. Okay, what is it? It is the International Space Station, okay? I didn't know either until just a moment ago, okay? There it is. And that's what it looks like. This thing is a weapon, all right? This thing circles. Let me get my figures right, okay? It goes around the earth, I think, in, um, well, here's what it does. It goes around the earth at 17,000 miles an hour. All right. I think it, like, every few hours it does a lap of the earth, okay? It goes that fast. And it sits, okay, 240 miles above the earth, okay? Now, you can know what it's like to fly a plane. You're 33,000 feet. It is nothing to this bad boy, okay? So 240 miles above the earth, 17,000 miles an hour, and it does a few laps every 24 hours of the plane. Anyone ever seen it from here? Because you can track it sometimes if you know it's what it, I haven't, but apparently you can. All right, anyway. Now, here's what I didn't know, okay? Fitted to the space station are little boosters, okay? And these boosters keep the thing in orbit, all right? Because if this thing was just left by itself, all right, in 240 days, it would hit the earth. Did you know? And so it has these little boosters, everybody, to keep it on the right path, to boost it into its orbit, to keep it going in order to fulfill its purpose. Now, you know where I'm headed now, don't you? How many people know, all right, there are loads of things that are trying to take you off course. 
loads of unhelpful gravitational pulls from the earth that are trying to distract our faith, trying to distract our attention, and to pull us off the course that God has for us. Now, the writer to the Hebrews, he instinctively knew about the space station, and he writes about this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and you can read about those in Hebrews 11, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So the writer to the Hebrews reminds us, and you and me, that we are in an orbit. We have a path to follow. We have a race to run. But there are certain gravitational things that try to pull us off course. Now he defines them as things that hinder, things that get in the way. And then he says, then are sin that so easily entangles. And you put these two bad boys together and suddenly we're, we're in space, we're, we're doing whatever we're meant to be doing and then we go off course because these things can slowly, subtly entangle us and hinder us and get in the way. Now he tells us the cure. The cure is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so what I want to say today is that as we fix, we're going to consider the mix. And what I want to do is, I want to talk to followers of Jesus in the room who feel a little off course, being pulled in one direction or another that you know deep down is not the path that's marked out for you. I want to talk to anyone who feels like somehow in this season, life is constantly trying to pull them back or out of kilter with their faith in Jesus. I want to speak to all of us then who, who need to once more just be reminded today that we can apply to our lives, I'm going to use a big word, we need to appropriate to our lives everything Jesus has won for us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and through now his heavenly work. It's okay to apply everything Christ has won for us, amen? And we have to be reminded what's available and then apply it so that we can continue on our course. It's the same, if you like, where we're at in Hebrews. Hebrews 1 chapter 10, as I said earlier, is all about the greatness of God, all about Jesus, okay? It's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He is the great high priest. He is the great apostle. He is the great sacrifice. All of the stuff from Hebrews 1 to 10, full of knowledge about who Jesus is. Once we step across the threshold then into chapter 10, what happens is that it becomes all the remaining words about how to apply who Jesus is to our lives. It is this shift from doctrine to deeds, okay? And that's where we're at today. We're going to take what we know and we're going to learn how to apply it so we can live in the light of it and we can keep circling the earth at 17,000 miles an hour in Jesus' name. Amen? And, and you would think all of that would be an easy thing. You would think being, you know, it should be easy to apply forgiveness, wouldn't you say? You'd think it would be easy to live in the light of grace. It's not. I, have, I struggle, okay, I have a problem of taking stuff for free. <laughs> Believe it or not. 
How about you're a pastor? <laughs> Just get in there, you boy. Seriously, though, I struggle with it, okay? I, we, in Cornerstone, we, we had a ministry called Street Pastors, okay? We would go out on the city streets on a Friday, Saturday night, late at night, do the walls, tea, coffee, soup, all that stuff. And uh, it was great. It was a fantastic thing, really, really good. It got a lot of favor in the town, and, and it really helped with some antisocial behavior and things and so on. Happy days. And so I was involved in all of that. I went to, remember going to a barber's whenever I had hair and, and he, would, he would cut my hair. It takes so much shorter time to cut my hair now. Anyway, and he would cut my hair and he says, what do you do for a living? And I'm going, well, pastor, whatever. Oh, what, what do you do? Street pastor. And I would tell him all about street pastors. And he went, I'll never forget. He went like this one day. He says, you know what? I want to support you in, in, in what you're doing in your ministry and as a church, whatever. I'm going to cut your hair for free. Hey. I didn't go back. <laughs> Seriously, I never went back. There was just something in me struggled with taking that freebie. I, I, don't, I, mean, I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. But I just thought, I, I thought, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. And I, I need help, okay? I have trouble mixing my life with the blessing that somebody else is paying for. And I don't think I'm the only one. You see, it's difficult to apply the blessings of Jesus when you feel kind of bored with faith. I've heard it all before. I've tried this before and nothing has changed. I don't want to apply all of those things to my life. For some of us, we might feel broken. It's difficult to apply the blessings of Jesus when we are broken because we sit and we wander through life with thoughts of, I never thought this would happen to me. I am offended. I am betrayed. I am, something has happened on my person, my life, my family, and I never thought Christianity, I never thought God would, and I'm just broken. And so I don't really want to apply the blessings of Jesus to my life in this moment. Some of us then are betrayed. I trusted once and I'll never trust again. I trusted a pastor. I trusted a church. I trusted a parent. I trusted someone. And so you're going to talk today about applying the blessings of Jesus. Well, all right, but you go on ahead, but I'm not going to mix the blessings to my life. And then there are others who are unbelieving. I just can't see how what you're reading and how Jesus and all of that will make any difference to me. It's difficult, it's harder than it looks, everyone, to apply the blessings of Jesus to our lives. We continually fight it, or we forget it, or something else gets in the way of it. And then suddenly you wake up one day and you are way off course. Anyone? Come on, that, that's our life. And so I think it's God's heart today to say, you know what, I, I want to grab your attention. I want to try and push you forward from the moment you are in. Whether you're bored, broken, betrayed, or even unbelieving, there is a moment in time, there's a moment in your life, and it is now where I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, I want you to listen in, I want you to grab some things, and I want you to begin, even if it's slowly, apply some of the blessings of the life of Christ to your life so we can live and move forward in light of it. Anyone up for that? So let me give you two or three things that are going to help us. Number one is this. First of all, apply what Jesus has done to the world within me. Okay? Apply what Jesus has done, first of all, before we live in victory, we want to live from victory. 
all right? And so we want to apply what Jesus has done to the world within. Now, a number of years ago, two or three years ago, a movie came out all about Neil Armstrong, okay? It was called First Man. I don't know if anyone has ever seen that, but it was all about his first mission to the moon, okay? And they're having all the stuff and doing all the prepared and all the plans and all the stuff, more space analogies, okay? But the, the, the crew say this line, okay, and it's really key. He turns and he says this, let's feel down here so we don't feel up there. That's a good idea, isn't it? You don't want to feel when you're up there and there's nothing you can do. And so with that in mind, they can, all the NASA guys, they worked furiously developing the integrity of the mission, of the rocket, of the systems, and most importantly, making sure that the integrity of the astronauts was sound. And so the team at NASA, everyone, knew what God knew all along. And here it is, that your impact on the planet is related to your integrity as a person. You have to start with the world within. Because the more hold and the more healed and the more settled and the more contented you are on the inside, the more effective, the more expansive a life you live on the outside. Sometimes we hear people and they head off to Australia and I'm going off to find myself. The only problem is you take you with you. You're the problem all along. There's nothing in Australia that won't help you. You've got to help you here and then by all means take your trip and go for it, amen? But the more settled and healed and whole that we are on the inside, the more effective, you know what, that we will live in the world uh, that God has put us in. And so if... We, we, when we look at this, this, uh, the verses that we have, we see that, that God and Jesus does give us three things. He fixes the world within. Here's what he gives. He gives, number one, this internal courage. Look at verse 19. He says, we have confidence. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. This is an incredible thing. We can approach God. I think we've been singing about it earlier. And so what has happened is the restricted and representative access to, you know, has been replaced by this personal, intimate confidence that we can get to God ourselves. We don't need another channel. We don't need a special day. We don't need a special person. We don't need a special seat. We don't even need a special church. We don't need a special prayer. We don't need anything to get into the presence of God, save a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has made it possible through His Son that when we love the Lord Jesus, we have a confidence, no matter our state, no matter the day, no matter what has happened to us, to get into his presence. We have this internal confidence because the blood of Jesus ends the separation between God and mankind. How good is that? You are never on your own. And straight off the bat, everyone, this is the thing that you can apply to your spirit right now. No matter how far off course you feel you can be, you are one step away from prayer. You are one syllable away from entering the presence of God through what Jesus has done. Amen. Come on, we've got to remember when, when Christ hung on the cross, the veil was torn in two. There's nothing tells me that it was stitched back up again. Oh, we've got to repair that. Torn in two forever, not to let God out, but to let you in. Amen? Come on. It's an exciting thing. We have this courage to get into the presence of God. Next thing we have is an internal certainty. It is then a sincere heart full of a certain faith. It's a beautiful thing. 
not only have we confidence, we have certainty for all of the things that are shifting and changing in the world around us. And it seems to me to be faster than ever. The minute you get your head around one thing, somebody else comes along and blows it up with another. You're just getting used to one whatever, and then something else comes along and you think, well, I didn't didn't see that coming. But then we have this certainty because Jesus is our high priest. Imagine back in the day of the tabernacle, the days of the Day of Atonement. You would stand there as somebody in in the community of God. And you'd stand there and on this special day, the high priest with all the stuff on, the robes and the turbans and all the the decorations and the stuff, he would go into the, the holy of holy places once a year to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. All your hope is in him. All your hope is in that human being. And you're hoping, I hope he gets it right. I hope he says it right. I hope he gets out. Because if he doesn't do it right, if he doesn't say it right, doesn't whatever, then my sins will not be forgiven. I can't be certain. Jesus removes the uncertainty. How do we know? Because he rose again. Because the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of the Son, rose from the dead so that we can rise again. We can live forever. We can be forgiven. Jesus is our high priest. He enters heaven, everyone, with his own blood. And then he sits down. It is Come on, the Father doesn't preside over sacrifices anymore. Jesus, now the Bible says in Hebrews, he prays for you and he prays for me. The Bible says he intercedes eternally from the ears of the Father. Are your ears warm, church? They should be because Jesus right now is talking about you. We don't have to continually. And you gotta apply this to your life, some of you. We don't have to keep saying sorry for the sins we have committed. Some of you have got monkeys on your back from 73, 74, 75, 76, and you can't shake them. And you're living your life as some sort of penance. Well, at least I can't enjoy myself, but that's my little punishment to me. No, 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 no. We have to understand and be certain and satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ the King. You are forgiven and you are free and you don't have to endlessly say sorry and sorry and sorry and sorry for the same old sins. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel endlessly ashamed for the mistakes and the regrets and all the stuff we carry. All of that was placed on Christ and the the, the righteousness that was in him was placed on you. It is time for some of us in the room to begin not only to apply that confidence, but a certainty that I am forgiven, completely forgiven. Isn't that hard? It's hard for, it's hard, it may not be hard for everybody, but it's hard for some people. Just shake that thing. Listen to me here. If Jesus Forgiveness is not a philosophical construct. It's a physical reality. Why? Because Jesus is a physical reality. A philosophy didn't hang on the cross. A physical person hung on the cross. 
A physical person rose from the dead. He not only represents the Father, but he represents you. He is our representative on earth and in heaven. Amen? So if he took our sins, he took our sins. If he rose from the dead, our sins couldn't keep him down. That means as our representative, your sins can't keep you down. That when you put your faith in Jesus, you rise up in faith with him. Amen? So we have this internal courage. We have this internal certainty. And then best of all, this internal cleansing. They all flow together. Verse 22 says that we have a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a a guilty conscience. It's washed completely clean. And I want to encourage you today, you are free to feel free. You are free to be unfettered to the past. You are free from having to punish yourself. It is absolutely true. You have this internal courage, this internal certainty, and this internal cleansing before the Lord. I want to, come on, let's apply that even to your life right now. For some of you, it may not matter what else I say today. That's just what you needed to hear. Second thing is this. First thing is that we're getting our world within us, okay, sorted. Then we're going to move to the world around us. We've got to apply what Jesus has done to the world around me. Now, I've shared this story before, and I won't labor on the particular point of it, but Way back in the day before the kids were born, you remember that I shared with you that the phone call that we got a few weeks out from Judas' auntie Mag. So she was, for anyone that don't know, we were having this, this mad quadruplet pregnancy thing going on and Judas was in bed rest and we're all kind of wondering if the kids are going to make it. We're praying, trusting God and then not trusting and trusting God again and then not, you know, the usual in and out. Lord, help me believe, help my unbelief, I do believe, you know, all that kind of, uh, kind of world. And, uh, and so we get this phone call from Judas Ant. Judas Ant, it was a, a midwife lecturer in Queen's University, never married, never had kids and so on. And uh, she got a call, we got a call and said, you know what I'm going to do when the kids are born? I'm going to take early retirement and I'm going to, if, if you want, I'm not going to force myself, uh, but if you want me, I'm going to offer, I will take early retirement. I'll come and do what I got to do. I'll give you three days a week and get you help and da-da-da. We were just blown away by that incredible generosity. We're still in awe of Judith's Auntie Margaret. We were, okay, we've got a statue of her in our house. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, okay? It really is, and little candles. It's a beautiful thing. And so, uh, but one of the things that we discovered early on, whenever she started to come to our house, okay, she had a different view on raising kids. <laughs> and it wasn't like ours at all. Oh, no, not at all. No sweets. Don't do Christmas very much. It was one of these ones, small tree in the, you know, like a tiny tree, put in the back room, come December, take it out of the back room. That kind of, that was all we did. And uh, that was it. So not much in the way of like spoiling, whatever. And that's what she said. I don't do sweets, I don't do, they won't get spoiled, whatever, it'll be, it'll come, we'll help, we'll do thing. we'll read the Bible, we'll pray, we'll growl at them, and we'll do whatever, and that's how it's going to be, okay, until they turn two, and then they played her, and that was it, and then for years after that, she was bringing up donuts, she was bringing up homemade cookies, she's bringing up her own Christmas tree on her back, you know, she's bringing all this stuff up, I've got to tell you, things change, don't they, they just change, they really do. And, uh, and, and this is what we, we, we discovered with all of that. Uh, she found it very difficult to possess what she professed. Oh, she, she professed one thing, but she didn't really own it, did she? Her, her mind was completely changed. You see, it's very easy, everybody, to stand here, isn't it, and profess the virtues of forgiving others, 
Who believes in forgiveness? Who believes in the power of forgiveness? Who finds it easy to forgive? Oh, I believe in it and I love forgiveness until I have someone to for. <laughs> it's very difficult to possess what we profess. It's easy to stand here. It really is. It's easy to profess Jesus. It's easy to say, oh, Lord, we live for you. We worship song, two hands in the air. And yet sometimes when the going is tough as it will for all of us, do you know, we can find that the reality is much more difficult. And this is what the writer of the Hebrews is wanting us to understand. He's saying to the Christians there, and he's saying to you and me in verse 23, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to hold unswervingly to the hope that you possess. I want you to hold on to it. You've owned this hope, profess this hope. And, and the whole context of Hebrews is persecution. And it's like he's writing to them and he's saying, you know what? I know it's difficult. I know you're going through something right now. I know it's really, really tough. But you know what you believe and you know you can trust in Jesus. And you know the difference he's made. And so I want to give you encouragement and strength. Hold on. Now is the time to possess what you profess, what you believe. Listen to Job in Job 19. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. He's lost everything and he's got all his comforting friends. Who needs friends like that? Even the wife, curse God and die, Job. Curse God and die. Thanks, love, for that spirit of encouragement right there. And yet in the middle of all this chaos, loses everything. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know it. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. What vision. And after my skin has been destroyed, he says, yet in my flesh, I will see God. A little sort of moment of the resurrection. And then he says, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. And I love this. How my heart yearns within me. Talk about having an internal confidence, an internal courage and cleansing. He's just got it. He has this confidence in an internal God. And no matter what's going on around him, he holds unswervingly to the hope he professes because he knows his God is faithful. Two weeks ago, we were in, in Watford. And Judith and I were in Watford, North London, a little bit, and a couple of visiting friends there. A couple of years ago, we were over visiting one bonfire night. And you can imagine the bonfire night over there. It's like fireworks extravaganza. And we were having this, walking through a place called Cassioberry Park. It's just a mad park. You know what a park, trees, whatever. And they had this mad open space where they had this firework display. And, and these things were going off. Fantastic, really impressive kind of stuff, all right? And then Judith turned around. She made this kind of comment. She says, these trees must look amazing in daylight. Because you can see the flashes of the park, you know, it light up with, with the fireworks. And, uh, and, and that, well, that was it. And then I had this thought. And it's, I mean, it's not a, like a huge thought. You won't write it down, I'm sure. But I, but I had this thought. Doesn't everything lose its color in the dark? Doesn't it? The color's still there. The leaves of the trees don't turn black. The color's still there, but in the dark, you can't see the color. And sometimes that can be like our life. For maybe even some of you in this room, that is your life right now. Metaphorically, the world is losing its color. It's lost its taste. It's lost its way. Something is, is affecting you. And if that's you, it's time. It's time that you commit today to shift, 
to possess what you profess, to, to apply what you really believe and to see if the color can come back. Brian, how do, how do I do that though? That's great. I'm loving all of this, but how do I practically begin to do that? Well, I want to encourage you. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have a battle and the battle is between the facts versus the truth. So the fact is, I may feel unworthy, but the truth is, Christ has made me worthy. The fact is, I may feel hopeless, but the truth is, Christ has made me hopeful. The fact is, I may feel guilty, but Christ has cleansed my conscience. The fact is, I may feel alone, but the truth is, Christ is with me always. The fact is, I may feel when I pray, no one hears. I've got a bronze ceiling above me. God is, he's just been so quiet. Nothing is happening in my life. But the reality, the truth is, Jesus is always thinking, always seeking, always speaking, always interceding for you every moment. And it is time now that in our lives, we win the battle between facts and truth. The fact might be one thing, but I got to tell you, the truth's entirely different. And it's time to live out of truth. Amen. It's time to get the truth of God's word, take the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what the cross means for each one of us, and to apply it to our lives, no matter what we are going through in this moment. It's all in the mix. We've got to mix it with our world. And the final thing is this, and worship team, you are free to come back up. The final thing is this, we've got the world within us, the world around us, and then we want to apply what Jesus has done to the world beyond us. This is a, this is a wonderful thing about Jesus. I want to just show you this. Each of you and me, psychologically, you have three fundamental needs. All human beings, okay? You have three basic, but they are fundamental needs, okay? Number one is this. We all have a need to matter, okay? Hands up who does not want their life to matter. I hope when I get older, I don't matter. Said no one, okay? If TikTok and, and Instagram do anything, they, don't, they haven't created this, they've tapped into this. If man's need to matter, it's why we have breakthroughs and scientific breakthroughs and progress. It's why we have all of these, because we want significance. We, we're, we're made to matter. God did not create us in his image so we wouldn't matter. You matter and you want to matter. It's a need you have. The second thing is that you have a need to feel safe. All of us need to feel safe in the room. Safe in our homes, safe in ourselves, safe in our spirit, safe in our country, safe in our culture. And the third need that we have is to belong. No one wants to feel lonely. No one wants to feel like an island. Whatever even the men say. I don't need anybody. You do. We want to belong. We are made for community. Emotional health, mental health breaks down when one of these three feel. Imagine a triangle. If you can feel safe and belong, but you feel you don't matter, 
we have a problem. If you feel that you matter and you belong, but you don't feel safe, we have emotional distress. If we feel that we matter and we feel safe, but we don't belong, we have distress. All mental health can be traced to a breakdown of one or two or more of these needs. Jesus Christ satisfies every fundamental need. In Luke 15, three to five, it says, then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. He says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and then go after the lost sheep until he finds, I love that, until, he, ah, no, I can't find it, ah, well, we'll leave it. He goes until he finds it. And when he finds it, he's so angry at it for wandering off. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes, watch this. Takes you home. Never lose a child. Supermarket. What happens when you feel the child? We're not joyfully putting you in anything other than jail. Jesus. In this parable, we see how Jesus meets all of our fundamental needs. The one sheep matters so much that he's prepared to leave the others for it, demonstrating that that sheep matters to Jesus. When the lost sheep is found, what does Jesus do? He carries it on his shoulders. What does that create? It creates a sense of safety. And then where does Jesus take the sheep back? into the flock, back into the community where it belongs. Within you is the fundamental need to belong, and I want to pick on that one, and I want to just remind us, we don't need to remind it, but it's just good to do it, that Jesus places you in communities, communities of marriage, communities of friendship and work environment. One of the big places that he puts you into is church. It's the local church so that this fundamental need can be met. Tim Keller says this, the gospel creates community. It's what it does because it removes fear and pride. People get along inside the church who would never get along outside of the church. Look at you all. Like for a lot of you, you shouldn't really be friends. Like, Let's face it. You know, outside of church, it's like, supernaturally that's the beautiful thing about the church he puts you in community with everybody and we all get along in here and it's the church killer uh, Keller goes on he says it calls us to holiness it calls the people of God to live in loving bonds of accountability and discipline in other words iron sharpens iron the Bible says let me read the amplified version and then we're nearly done he says let us consider and give attentive continuous care listen that them attentive and continuous care to watching over one another, stirring how, studying how we may stir up, in other words, stimulate and incite to love and helpful and noble activities, not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together, but admonishing and warning and urging and encouraging one another. I want to belong to that, do you not? Imagine a community that's so life-giving that you couldn't wait to get here. 
Because you know that when you step into it, you're going to receive life. You're going to receive encouragement. You step into an atmosphere where you're not really sure what could happen next. Oh, I want a church like that. Do you not? We've got a pattern and a flow and a running order. I get all of that. But it's still edgy enough to know that I'm not sure what could turn the corner here. Imagine walking into a church that's full of people. Instead of looking you up and down, will stir you to go on and on and on, to love and to noble activities. Imagine a church full of people that says to each other, you look amazing today, you've got this, great to see you. Imagine a church where you walk in and say, you know, people, I've been praying for you, I feel God saying this for you. Come on. Imagine a church where people call things out of you that you never would see in yourself. Come on, that's this church. That's who you are. That's who you are part of. This is where we belong. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. Come on, bow our heads for a minute. Let me recap just really briefly. For some of us, it's all about the world within us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, for, for those of us in the room who are still self-punishing. That, Father, today would be a day of emancipation, a day of deliverance once, once again, Lord. A day where we are reminded of the the centrality of the cross, of the finality of sin in our lives. That, Father, our conscience have been sprinkled and cleansed clean. That we are free to be free in Jesus' name. And so I pray, Lord, God set the captives free this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we will not pick up this bag when we, the minute we leave church, but, Lord, actually we will live in the light of this. We're on course, we're on an orbit, Lord. We don't need to be distracted by the past. Father, for others, it's the world around them. It is the, the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves sitting in like Job. And right now we're praying around the issues. We're praying about the facts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray the truth to the facts. The fact might be, but the truth is greater still. And so, Lord, would you equip us this week, as difficult and as brave it's going to take us and, and courageous it's going to be, all of that. It could be hard to do this. It's hard to summon the faith, but, Lord, with your presence and your help by your Spirit, we want to pray the truth to our facts. And yet for others, Lord, it's the fundamental needs. I have no doubt, Lord, you have tapped into some people in this room who can see, I don't feel like I matter or I don't feel safe, or I don't feel like I belong, or a combination thereof. And I pray, Lord, as we've learned today, that Jesus, you meet every fundamental need. That God, that we will understand today that we will matter, that we are safe in you, and that we belong. And Lord, I wanna to begin to pray healing for 
anyone in the room with any amount of emotional distress, big or small, from a breakdown of any of those three needs. Because sometimes when we identify a thing, we're halfway to solving it. And so, Father, I just want to pray freedom in Jesus' name from emotional distress. I want to pray, Lord God, freedom. We're safe in you. We belong in you. We matter to you. You meet all of our needs. And so, Father, we worship you. We honor you. And we glorify you. In Jesus' name.